not remain seated on your sofa, I guess. <laughs> of rest in times of loss Here. 
hearts are open, nothing here is hidden. You are our one desire. You alone are holy, only you are worthy. God, let you far fall down. Let our shouts be your anthem. Your renown fill the sky. We are here for you. We are here for you. Let your word move in power. Let what's dead come to life. We are here for you. We are here for you. To you our hearts are open, nothing here is hidden. You are our one desire. You alone are holy, only you are worthy, God. Let your fire fall down.
Jesus, we thank you so much that we can say, Lord, that we need you, God. We can cry out our hearts to you. We can pour them out, Lord, in this time of just worry and doubt and confusion, Lord. But we know and we can have hope and confidence, Lord, that you hear our cry and you hear our prayer, Lord. And we can have confidence, God, that even in this time of what we see around us of just suffering and pain and um, hardship, Lord, we know that you are still God and you are still good, Lord. And we thank you and praise you for that, Jesus. And I just pray that we would remember, Lord, and we'd set our minds and hearts now upon this next song, that you are sovereign, Lord, that you have a plan, that you are good, you are working, Lord. Um, We are waiting, Lord, to see what that is right now. But even in our waiting, Jesus, you are still working, you are still good, and you are still doing a good thing in our hearts, Lord. I just pray you'd minister to us now and speak to us, Lord, and, and just comfort our hearts now in this time. I just ask and pray in your name. Amen. There is strength within the sorrow There is beauty in our tears And you meet us in our morning With a love that casts out fear You are working in our waiting Sanctifying us When beyond our understanding You're teaching us to trust Your plans are still to prosper You've not forgotten us You're with us in the fire and the flood Faithful forever, perfect in love, you are sovereign over us. You are wisdom unimagined, who could understand your ways. Raining high above the heavens Reaching down in endless grace You're the lifter of the lowly Compassionate and kind You surround and you are Promises are my delight. Your plans are still to prosper. You've not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. For your glory, 
working for our good. You're working for our good, for your glory. Even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. You turn it for our good, for your glory. Even in the valley, you are faithful. You're working for our good. You're working for our good, for your glory. Your plans are still to prosper. You've not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. still to prosper. You've not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the blood. Faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. Faithful for us. Faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. Oh, Father, we're so thankful uh, that you're so good and you're in control. Oh, Lord, we just think about uh, how many other things have power over us that we can't control, and the fear that brings because so many of those things aren't good. But you're over everything, Lord. There's nothing too difficult for you. There's nothing that you don't have veto power over. There's nothing, Lord, that, that enters into our lives or into our circumstances that you're not sovereign over. We thank you, Lord, for that promise, Lord, that I, it's so often quoted, Lord, it becomes almost cliche, but it's still so true. All things work together for those that love you, for those that are the called according to your purpose. You're conforming us to the image of Christ through these difficulties. And so, Lord, we pray that we would continue to believe that. We continue to draw close to you because of that. And we thank you, Lord, what you want to do uh, together as we are separate but together this morning. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So before I do the rest of the announcements, uh, uh, these guys have an announcement. Sam and Abby, give us an announcement. Well, uh, we're engaged. happened yesterday he did really well <laughs> if you want to know the story send me a message i'll happily let you know <laughs> we're very happy yeah we're, yeah. we're kind of happy <laughs> kind of. this is really awkward because we can't see anyone <laughs> we'll just pretend you're all really happy yeah. too <laughs> Woo! we are all very happy so very happy so so all right, a couple other quick announcements. Uh, usually what we do this time during our service, this is when we'd say, uh, if you're new here, welcome. And so we say that again. Uh, usually we'd also say, the toilets are over here, but actually there's only one toilet in this building. It's a bit far to travel. So use the one in your home. That'll probably work out better. Um, 
Uh, also, this is the time that we usually say that this is we're going to have a break in just a minute, uh, and the break time is for us to get to know each other, where our worship of God is expressed horizontally as we love one another. That's still going to happen today in your lounge, and uh, if you're home with all your children, you know, and you go to Servant Church normally, you know that when we gather together at that time is when your kids go nuts. So I think it's appropriate if your kids go nuts in your living room this morning, as they often do on Sunday morning at church. Um, um, but we will. We do want you to take this bit of time to uh, just to to get ready for the rest of the, the morning. Uh, maybe if you're still in your pajamas and you can't, can't find your Bible, go find your Bible so you're ready for Neil's message. But also uh, remember, this Sunday is Communion Sunday, and so this is a time we're going to remember the Lord together at, toward the end of the service. And so if you need to get those elements ready, probably at the break would be a good time so that when we come together and Neil leads us in this time that we're ready for that. Um, also, a couple other quick announcements. Um, uh, we usually also talk about the need for prayer requests. If you need for prayer, ask somebody for prayer. Um, since there's no uh, physical place where we're meeting, you can write out the prayer cards. If you just send us, go to our website, send us an email with your prayer request. We're still meeting on Friday morning to pray, a small group of us. And so uh, give us those emails uh, or give us those uh, prayer requests for, uh, via email, and we will pray for those things. Uh, also, we're asking you guys to use the church directory that we sent to you uh, via the email last week to pray for each other. In fact, specifically, I would challenge you, today's the 22nd of March, and so I would challenge you to go down to the 22nd person on the list and send them an email or a text. Introduce yourself to that person, Stephen Gosling, I'm coming after you. <laughs> and uh, just make sure you do that. It's a good way to, to introduce yourself to somebody if you don't know them. If you do know them, it's just a good way to say, we're thinking of you, praying for you, how can I pray for you? Uh, if you don't have that weekly email, if you're not getting that weekly email, again, if you send us an email through the website, we can send you the form that you have to fill out because it's the, the law. And if you fill that form out and get it back to us, we'll put you on our email list uh, if Servant Church is your home church. So if you're watching us from the U.S. or somewhere outside the country, still send us your prayer request, but we can't send you the directory, obviously. Uh, but if Servant Church is your home church and you haven't been getting those emails, please contact us through the website and we will let you know what's going on. Um, I think that's it. So we're going to have a break right now. Uh, so I think we're going to silence uh, online, uh, but you'll just kind of see the backdrop here, which is, oh gosh, I forgot to say, this is the new building in case you didn't know. So this is actually the first service for the new building. Boom. Boom. Yes. Yes. We're quite excited. All seven of us. So, so we'll see you guys back here in about 15 minutes. Looking forward to, really looking forward to hearing uh, the, the word that God's going to bring through Neil. God bless you guys. A very good morning, especially to you joining us online. We've got seven of us in the room here. And normally at this point, we'd call everyone back from their teas and coffees. So hopefully you're sitting comfortably and you're feeling well refreshed. Uh, I'm Neil, one of the, uh, the house group leaders at Servants Church. And whether you're watching you know, by yourself in isolation or in small groups or with a family, um, we just want to pray that you're well and we're glad you can join us today. So I'm going to be sharing from Matthew chapter 26. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, if you could find chapter 26 of Matthew. And as John mentioned, we're going to be partaking in communion at the end of the message, which we feel is just really important to continue to do, especially especially now that we're a virtual church. Um, so Please be ready to partake in that at the end of the message. 
Um, But I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to read from verse 17 through to 29. And then we'll pray and ask God to bless his word. So if you want to follow along with me, reading from verse 17 of Matthew 26. Now on the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have not it would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, You have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks. And he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when he had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for the grace that you give to us, especially to do this this morning, that we can be together, Lord, to have this time in your word. And we thank you, Lord, that, Lord, you say that all things will fade away, but the word of God will endure forever. And we thank you, Lord, that your word is always with us. And we just pray, Lord, that you would ready our hearts to receive from you this morning, that you would take my meager efforts, Lord, that you would use them for your glory, And for the good of your people, Lord, wherever they may be this morning, Lord Jesus, we just pray you will take your heart, take your word and plant it into our heart this morning. We ask this in your holy and precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we're continuing in our series every fourth Sunday looking at the Lord's Supper. And we started off back in Exodus when the first Passover was instituted but today we're going to look at the last Passover and the first Lord's Supper or communion and we're going to be in Matthew 26 but jumping to Luke 22 as well and all the slides and the verses should hopefully be on the screen and I think I'm like a little thumbnail in the corner somewhere I'm not sure Um, but hopefully you can see everything clearly Um, But although we tend to view Passover and communion separately, we should see how the two perfectly dovetail together. Matthew 26, verse 17. Now on the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? So we come to the last Passover celebrated by Jesus 
and his disciples in Jerusalem. And the feasts of Passover and unleavened bread were commanded by the Lord. We read in Numbers chapter 28, verse 16, that on the 14th day of the first month, you must celebrate the Lord's Passover. On the following day, a joyous seven-day festival will begin, but no bread made with yeast or leaven may be eaten. And the names Passover and unleavened bread, they're often interchanged uh, in the Gospels, but for all intents and purposes, we can see them as the same feast period lasting eight days. And we read at the start of Matthew 26, the start of the chapter, that Jesus said to his disciples, after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. So Jesus and his disciples arrive at Jerusalem now to keep the Passover. But notice that Jesus connects the two events of the last Passover and his crucifixion. And that's really important. So through the chapter, we're going to see this also this backstory of Judas Iscariot plotting with the chief, the chief priests, how he, he sought from that time to get an opportunity to betray Jesus. And we'll come to Judas in our passage uh, shortly. But then from verse 17, we see Jesus and his disciples arriving at Jerusalem to observe the last Passover before his crucifixion. And so this final Passover meal, it's full of significance for us. And if you remember back in, 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 in Exodus 12, when the, peace, the, the, the Passover feast and unleavened bread were first instituted, we see the Passover lambs were slaughtered on the nights of Israel's deliverance, where each family was told to select an unblemished lamb, to sacrifice the lamb, and then prepare a meal with the meat to eat together. And we saw how the blood of the sacrificed lamb was to be applied to the house of each family and how the angel of the Lord who was sent to judge Egypt, how that angel would pass over the homes where the blood of the lamb was applied. And once this meal had been consumed, the people of Israel began their exodus out of Egypt. So the feast of Passover and unleavened bread was to be observed in Israel each year in remembrance of their deliverance out of 400 years of slavery. So it was a special time. It was a joyous time celebrating God's deliverance great act of deliverance his redemptive purpose for his people and there were other feasts in the Jewish calendar which Jesus observed with his disciples but these two feasts were the high point Passover and unleavened bread and we'll see this last Passover was very different so from verse 18 we read Jesus said to his disciples go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them. And they prepared the Passover. So keeping the actual feast required to find lodging in Jerusalem, where the meal could be eaten. It wasn't always an easy task, especially given the swollen population. Millions of people in Jerusalem at this time. But we see that Jesus had prepared a place. Now, you've got over a million people milling around Jerusalem and Jesus says to his disciples, go and find a certain man. It's a particular word. He uses a particular word in the Greek that means one whose name I cannot recall. And that's a strangely vague thing for Jesus to say, don't you think? So either Jesus didn't know who this man was, which is doubtful, or it's because he didn't want his disciples to know. 
who this man was. Not by name, at least, anyway. So, basically, go and find someone you don't know. That's effectively what Jesus was saying to his disciples. But it's, it's when we look at Luke's gospel, which is a, a harmony with this account of Passover, he fills in a few gaps for us. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through to 12. It should be on the screen. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, where do you want us to prepare? And he said, behold, when you've entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room that I may eat? The Passover with my disciples. Then he will show you a large furnished upper room and there make ready. So Jesus says a man carrying a pitcher of water will come and meet you. Follow him to the house he goes to. But notice in Luke, he states that Jesus only sent two of his disciples, Peter and John, not the rest. So the other ten stayed back with Jesus. But we don't see this in Matthew. But why doesn't Jesus just say, remember... Our friend and follower, you know where his house is, on such and such a road. That's where we're going to keep Passover. Go and find, go and find him. But he doesn't say that. So why the secrecy? And I think it's for one very good reason. Remember back in verse 16 of Matthew, we read that Judas from that time sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. So Judas was looking for a place where he could easily turn Jesus over to the Jews. And Jesus knew that if Judas knew in advance where the meal, the Passover meal, was going to be held, that would be the perfect place. So he wouldn't, he wouldn't say. And the timing of this Passover meal was crucial. Jesus had to keep the Passover to fulfill all righteousness. It was commanded for every meal. But more than that, he used the time in the upper room to instruct his disciples. From John chapter 13 through 17, we see one of the most intimate discourses Jesus had with his disciples. And that leads to him establishing the Lord's Supper. A very, very important time. So we'll come more to Judas in a while. Um, But we also read that Jesus gave his disciples a word to speak to the host. Who would know it was a request directly from the Lord himself. And it's interesting, this phrase in verse 18 Jesus says, say to the man, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. The word time, it's not chronos, as in chronological time. It's kairos, the time of an an event or a decisive point in time. A special appointed time in God's plan. That's the meaning of this word time. My time is at hand. So we read in Matthew 26, verse 20, when evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. And in Luke's account, we read when the hour had come. So this was a divinely appointed time, the appointed time of his passion. The path that led to the cross, to redemption and to glory. It started here. Jesus had divinely appointed a place for himself and his disciples to partake in this Passover. And no one, not Judas Not anyone was going to change that. And we read in Luke 22, verse 15, Jesus said, with fervent desire, 
I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. With fervent desire. He'd longed for this moment. Jesus was committed to keeping this Passover with his disciples. Despite the path of painful suffering that was to follow. Jesus desired to keep this meal. It was a moment of sweet fellowship with his disciples. And it was a moment that he wanted to cherish. He wanted his disciples to cherish and to remember. And for us to remember. This was a fellowship meal that would become so much more. And so Jesus reclined with his disciples. And they ate the Passover meal together. So let's pick it up in verse 21 of Matthew 26. Now as they were eating. He said, assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, he who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The son of man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. So the first note on this section, this passage, I want us to see is that partaking in the Lord's Supper exposes our sinful heart and it promotes true fellowship. We learn that one of the twelve, Judas, was not in true fellowship. Jesus indicates, surely I say to you, one of you will betray me. So although we know Jesus gave Judas ample opportunity to repent, He gets to this point and he's still looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. But it's important to see that his conduct and his deceit did not surprise Jesus. Up to this point, Jesus had treated Judas with grace and humility. If you remember Jesus before the Passover meal in John 13, he washes the feet of his disciples and that included Judas. He served him. But Jesus knew all those whom he had chosen. And more than that, we learn the treachery of Judas. It was also prophesied in scripture. We read in Psalm 41 verse 9. The words of David. He says, even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread has turned against me. So David is speaking or Christ is speaking through David. And notice here in verse 21 that Jesus made sure the other disciples knew of Judas' betrayal before the time. And in John 6, chapter 70, Jesus told them, Did I not choose you, the the twelve, and one of you is a devil? So it's important to understand the magnitude of his betrayal. It was so huge. So huge, in fact, it could shake the very faith of the disciples. His treachery carried such uh, negative force. That Jesus shielded them by telling them before the time. But the betrayal of Judas was also demonic. We read in John 13 verse 2. The supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So Satan, so once Satan took possession of Judas, his descent was swift, it was dramatic and it was also irreversible. So Matthew 26, verse 25. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Matthew, sorry, sorry, answered and said, Rabbi, 
Is it I? You have said it, Jesus said. So Judas was clearly planning betrayal and deceit against the Lord. And he reclines in fellowship. He partakes in his Passover meal with his deceit in his heart. And Jesus says, he who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. But Jesus knew his heart and he exposes his sin. So it's important to see that God was the architect of these events. Not Judas or the Pharisees and not the devil. It was the Father's redemptive purpose in Christ that would be accomplished. And it says in verse 24, the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. God's sovereign purpose in Christ. But continues, woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never have been born. So you could say Judas was an apostate. And that's important to recognise. There's a difference from a person falling into sin or backsliding and apostasy. Judas, he'd rejected grace. He'd rejected the offer of salvation. He made his own choices and he was the source of his own damnation. But God still used his sin to accomplish his sovereign purposes in Christ. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. Nothing was going to hinder God's sovereign purpose. But the example of what happened to Judas should serve as a sober reminder for us. It should certainly give us pause in the contemplation of sin. And in taking part in communion together, we are encouraged to examine our hearts. Paul, in particular, highlights this moral examination we're to make of ourselves before taking part in the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 26 he says let each one examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So let's see that the the Lord's Supper is a fellowship meal that exposes sin. It calls us into fellowship with God. We read about the communion of the Holy Spirit and we do that with a pure heart. So that might be, we might be called back into fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. And that's what true fellowship is. 1 John 1, six says, If we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So God calls us to worship him with a pure heart and to celebrate together our unity in Christ. And that's something that's particularly important, especially now given the situation we're in. God is calling us to find new ways to demonstrate that unity. So it's at this point, Judas, he goes out into the night. And it's important to see that Judas doesn't continue to take part in this fellowship meal. And the communion of the Lord's table, that was to follow. So verse 26, we read, So as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it. And gave it to the disciples. So we'll, we'll stop that verse there. Baking and sharing in unleavened bread. It was a, a part of the traditional Passover meal. And the children of Israel were told to bake the bread without leaven. Which is a form of, of yeast. So leaven in the scriptures represented influence. And in commanding this back in Exodus. God was in effect saying I don't want you to take a piece of your old life. 
and implant it into your new life. You've been delivered out of Egypt, out from bondage. So in eating unleavened bread, it symbolised a separation from worldliness and sin and the beginning of a new life of deliverance and holiness. And Jesus, he blessed the unleavened bread, he broke it and he gave it. And it's at this point Jesus brings an end to the traditional Passover meal. That's really important to see. And he institutes something new, a memorial to himself. Jesus says, take, eat, this is my body. It's a strange thing to hear, but we've heard this before. Back in John chapter 6, verse 51, after the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, Jesus tells his disciples, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And that bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So this time Jesus, he takes the bread and with full authority, he changes this Passover feast, a holy feast that God commanded over a thousand years previous to this. The unleavened bread, once symbolic of their separation from Egypt, now becomes emblematic of his body, his flesh, which he would give for the life of the world. So the second point to see is that the Lord's Supper points to the passing of the old and the inauguration of the new. And it's important to see that the Passover Jesus was concluding with his disciples here, this was the last divinely sanctioned Passover ever to be observed. Divinely sanctioned. The exodus from Egypt was the greatest redemptive event in Israel's history. But this was now superseded by an even greater act of redemption. God himself coming in the flesh. The Passover celebrated today in Judaism, it still remembers that great historic deliverance. And I grew up in a messianic home where we kept Passover. But if you're just keeping the Passover for the meal without the reality of Christ, it tragically misses the greater deliverance that it foreshadowed. The cross of Christ, our saviour. God in the flesh coming to this world to save sinners. So we too, we can keep Passover. We have the liberty to do so, but to focus only on the elements of Passover is to celebrate the shadow after the reality has already come. Let's carry on verse 27. Then he took the cup and gave thanks And gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So Jesus signifies a clear change in God's relationship to his people. It was a new memorial. A new memorial to celebrate and to remember a new covenant. A new covenant of grace. And Israel first heard those words back in Exodus 24 verse 8. We read, so Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So when God made a covenant with his people, it required sacrifice and the shedding of blood. 
as with Abraham and Moses. And without blood, there could be no contract. But Jesus here at the last Passover, he signifies that the old is passing away. This is my blood of the new covenant. So everything Passover and unleavened bread were a shadow of. Jesus had come to fulfill bodily in his very person. It says in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 22. By so much more, Jesus has become a guarantee of a better covenant. In verse 26, for such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled and separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once and for all when he offered up himself. Jesus came to fulfill the purpose of the Passover lamb perfectly and publicly. So the third point to see is the Lord's Supper celebrates the fulfillment of God's redemptive purpose in Christ. Right at the beginning of his ministry, you remember Jesus, he was declared to be the perfect sacrificial lamb by John the Baptist. He heralded the Messiah is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the people were no longer to look to a lamb in Egypt. They were to look to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But in looking at the Passover lambs, we see these lambs, they were examined first and they were found to be in an unblemished condition, which was part of the criteria for them to be selected as the Passover Sacrifice as a sin offering under the law, under the old covenant. But we also see Jesus too. He was examined from the very first day of his ministry, especially as he stood and taught in the temple courts, scrutinised and examined by the Pharisees and the people. And Pilate said to the Jews in Luke 23 verse 14, You have brought this man, Jesus, to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no guilt and no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. The Apostle Peter testifies of Jesus, saying that we have been redeemed not with earthly things, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. So he was examined throughout his whole time of ministry and he was found to be sinless, guilt, blameless. And he was found to be free from any deceit or any disobedience. He obeyed the Father perfectly in complete submission. And finally, the Passover lamb was roasted on a fire and it was consumed in its entirety. And this is foretold by the prophet Isaiah in quite a profound way. In chapter 53, we read that we considered him struck down by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and put him to grief when you make his life an offering 
for sin. So it speaks of God's judgment foretold by the prophet Isaiah being poured out utterly on Christ as he hung on the cross. And we know it's quite an amazing um, fact when we see the at the time of this Passover, there were so many lambs. I think Ben mentioned it a few months ago. There were so many lambs slaughtered that a river of blood flowed, ran out the back of the temple and into the Kidron Valley. Um, and this river of blood, this mass slaughter, thousands upon thousands of lambs slaughtered. It must have impressed upon the people the necessity of death and the sacrifice of the innocent for the atoning of the guilty under the law. But all of those thousands of lambs combined couldn't take away one sin. God allowed for a time for them to cover sin under the law, but the book of Hebrews makes it very clear to us they could not take away sin. They could not atone. But the good news for us this morning in Colossians 1.20 is that God has made peace with us through the blood of his cross. Only through the blood of Christ. Only Jesus, the divine and perfect son of God. Only Christ could bear that cup of judgment. That cup of judgment that was reserved for sinners like me and you. And it was the delight of the son to faithfully discharge the father's will while he was on the earth. But it's also the delight of Jesus now in heaven to save sinners like me and you. So in sharing in the Lord's table, which we'll do in a while in communion, we are participants in this together with Christ and with the communion of the Holy Spirit with us. We prepare to take part in the Lord's Supper by removing the old leaven, the sin in our lives, by turning away from that which is sinful so that we can be in unity with God in Christ and in fellowship with one another. And we can pray this type of prayer as the psalmist prayed. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. In partaking of the unleavened bread, or cracker, as we will do. We remember the sinless body of Christ that was willingly broken for us in the sinner's stead. But we don't only remove the leaven. We don't only turn away from our sin. We partake in the one who is unleavened. We partake in Christ. Take, eat, this is my body. And we do this by faith. We look to Jesus, the living bread. In him we are truly unleavened. We are holy and we are set apart for him. So just as the Israelites were redeemed from slavery by way of an unblemished lamb, now all who believe, Jew and Gentile, all are eternally saved through the blood of Jesus. So Jesus ends this new memorial in verse 29. He says, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So we also partake in the Lord's Supper with our eyes on Jesus and our hope in his future return.
And we'll keep doing this memorial until we do it with him in the kingdom. That's the amazing thing. In the kingdom when all believers will feast with him in glory. When the Lord's Supper will become, as what the book of Revelation calls it, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen. In verse 30, our passage ends. After singing a hymn, they sent they went out to the Mount of Olives. So our Lord and his disciples finished this new covenant fellowship meal by worshipping together, most likely a psalm or a number of psalms. And in loving obedience, Jesus chose the path of the cross. So as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's death and his resurrection this week, let's take some time to consider the grace of God in sending Jesus, in bringing salvation to us and his faithfulness to us. But let's not merely participate in the ceremony of communion without embracing the truth it highlights, without embracing the reality that God is with us in Christ. And if you've been saved, remember that it's only through the new covenant of grace salvation is possible. Through the shed blood of Jesus, our Saviour. This perfect sacrifice that he made on our behalf, on your behalf. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved, through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any of us should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand. And he calls us to continue in that saving grace. And if you're watching this and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, I just want you to know that there's, there's nothing religious about taking part in communion or the Lord's Supper, as we call it. It's something God commanded only his followers to do in remembrance of him. So for that reason, we wouldn't encourage you to take part in communion. But the good news is that today you can know God's forgiveness. You can know his mercy. You can know his saving grace. You can receive the gift of eternal life if you repent of your sin and you trust in Lord Jesus as your saviour. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can call on the name of the Lord now and he will save you. He's faithful to answer and he loves you more than you could possibly know. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up and we're just going to play some music. We're not going to sing a song just yet. We're going to end with a hymn after communion, but we're just going to sing. We're just going to play some music and I want it to be a time where we can just respond to God in our hearts. And then we'll partake in the elements of communion together. But let's just use this time to draw near to God, knowing he draws near to us. And if there's anything in our heart which is hindering in our worship of God, let's just confess that to him now. Let's just draw near to him in our hearts, and then we'll partake together.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather together today, wherever we may be, to celebrate and to remember what Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, has done for us. And Lord, in taking this wine or the grape juice, we remember the sufficiency and the power of the blood of Jesus that was shed for us to make an everlasting atonement for our sin. We thank you for the blood that cleanses us from sin. We thank you for the blood that makes a way into the very presence of a holy God that we can draw near in full assurance of faith, that we can draw near to your throne of grace, O Lord, all through the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is our perfect plea, our only plea. And we thank you, Lord, that we can have a restored and renewed relationship with you through what you have done for us at the cross. And in taking the bread, the cracker, Lord, we thank you for the body that was offered up, that perfect sinless body that was offered up for us. Jesus, the living bread, which gives us new life, O oh Lord. But we thank you that we can, we can partake in that life every day through your Holy Spirit indwelling us, changing our hearts and renewing us in the spirit of our minds, Lord. And I pray you will continue to do that. But Lord, we remember that perfect sacrifice now. And we do this in remembrance of you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's partake together. Amen. Praise God. So we're also going to finish with a hymn as Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn and went to the Mount of Olives. We don't know exactly what hymn, but we've got a, a good one this morning. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's sing that together. Have a time of worship to close and John will uh, come up and pray to finish. Just is the 
so thankful that the work of your son has not and cannot lose its potency and we're so thankful Lord for your Holy Spirit who's applying that work to our lives changing us from the inside out Lord I pray you would continue to do this work Lord that we would believe what your word says that you who began this good work will be faithful to complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. 
Lord, do what needs to be done in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to like. <laughs> hit, hit the bell, says Josh, Josh Lakatos. Hit the bell. All right? God bless you guys. See you soon.